which I appreciate leading songs and especially your spelling. You're a man after my own heart with communion up there. And uh, oh, I spelled wrong. It's okay. It's all good. No, you're fine. You're fine. It's all good. If that's the worst that happens today, we're going to be just fine. But there's a you, you spell after my own heart for sure. I'm, spell check has been a wonderful invention for me, and it's been it's been wonderful. Um, and I'm, my guess is that once in a while there's a spelling error or punctuation error or whatever slips in in these powerpoints, and and you guys are gracious and, and look past it, and we we move on into the Word of God. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 24 here in uh, just a minute. But I, um, I think all of us probably have some desire, have at some point in time, to be a big shot in some way. Okay, and I remember uh, dreaming as a kid, thinking, man, playing basketball or or whatever sport I was interested in at a given moment, is how amazing it would be to come down to a game where everything is tied up and the last second you have the opportunity to shoot and to try to make that basket. And you shoot and you watch the basket, the ball go and the, the rotation is perfect and you sink it right as the, the buzzer goes and uh, everybody lifts you up and hauls you off the court and you're the great hero. If any of you had dreams like that, you know, all of us, our dreams might be different. Maybe yours is that you would walk into the ACT and you would ace it and come out with a perfect 36 score or something like that. You know, all of us have our different dreams. And I remember I did hit a last second shot in a club basketball game in college once and the response was, well, it's about time, Crooks. And so it wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be, um, but it was. Uh, I felt good about it for a, for a minute or so anyway. But we're going to look at some, some people in this, in this context. This is, happens during the Passover, what also becomes the Lord's Supper. Now next week we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to talk about the Passover, and we're going to spend some more time in that. But I want to focus on something that happens during the Lord's Supper, during this Passover feast, uh, with Jesus' disciples, because there's some tremendous lessons to, to learn from it, and uh, I know it stretched me this week. And so what's happening here is, if you skip down, you see what has happened. Je- like I talked about last week, Judas has agreed to betray Jesus. And there's Satan enters Judas because of his unmet expectations in life. He's been stealing, he's given Satan a foothold, and Satan gets a hold of his heart, and he goes and he... Um, he tells the religious leaders, hey, what will you give me to turn Jesus over to you? And they offer him money. He says, okay, I'll take it. And he, and he goes with it, and, uh, and he ends up betraying Jesus. But something happens here as the disciples are sitting in this room, participating in the Passover, and they're sharing what would be the lamb, the bitter herbs, the, the, some of the things that we'll talk about next week. And they're participating in this great feast that happens within the Jewish people. It was instituted years ago when the Israelites were, were taken out of Israel and the ten plagues and all of that. That's when God told them, do this Passover, because God passed over and, uh, and did not take your firstborn. And so you're to celebrate this. And it became a celebration of, of God taking the people out of Egypt and, and always being a protector and, and someone that was always going to take care of his people. And so here you have, in the middle of all of this, there's a question comes up. It is not it's come up with Jesus' apostles. It's come up before and several times. But if you look at verse 24, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. 
And so Jesus' disciples, they understand that his kingdom is coming. And they're realizing that his kingdom is probably not exactly what we anticipate it's going to be. He might not kick the Romans out. This is, we're not sure exactly what this looks like. But one thing we know is that this kingdom, as we go into this new kingdom, we are going to be big shots. That's what we know. And not only that, we're going to decide among ourselves, we're going to debate about this, who's going to be the biggest, strongest of all of us. And that's what they're worried about. That's what they're, they're debating about during this Passover feast here. You can imagine how, how much that would have hurt Jesus' heart at this point in time. And we'll talk more about that here in a bit. But he has been talking about following me means, means taking up your cross daily, following me, denying self, all this kind of stuff. And here, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, they don't know it's going to happen at this point in time. But they're still debating and they're still wrestling and they're still saying, wait a minute, who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom that we come into? Because they knew and they saw the religious leaders. The examples that they had had was these religious leaders were all about power, they were all about strength, they were all about authority, they were all about how am I going to be in charge next? And Jesus shows them something different here or gives them some different instructions. If you continue on in verse 25, it says, Jesus said to them, the kings... Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. And so Jesus shares with them here. He says, no, no, okay, this discussion, you're asking the wrong questions here. The question is not who should be the greatest. Because in this world, being great means making others serve you. Okay, And who knows how this discussion came up at this point in time. We'll, I'll give a possibility here in a minute. But Jesus says, no, you guys have the wrong perspective here. You're seeing things from the wrong eyes. And you can imagine, again, the religious leaders that they grew up with, what they understood with these, the, the people that, that worked around the temple and taught is it was all about control, it was all about power, it was all about me having a veto button to be able to overpower you and what you're going to say or think and having authority. And I'm going to walk around, I'm going to have people look at me and talk about how great I am. And so somewhere deep down within his disciples, this is what they're looking for. They're going to be the big shot. We know that Jesus says these religious leaders are terrible, but you know what? We can, we can do the religious leader thing in so much better way. And we're going to figure out this pecking order right now. Who's going to be the greatest of, out of all of us? And Jesus' response is, in my world, being great means serving others. I imagine the room got quiet because think, well, that's not what we want. Okay, who wants to be the servant out of all of this? This is who wants to do that. We're we're trying to figure out who's the big shot, and you're telling us that if to be the big shot in your kingdom means that we serve others, what does that look like, Jesus? What is that supposed to be? How how on earth are we supposed to do that? Because that is so opposite of everything we've seen in our world. Something that Luke doesn't record. If you go to John chapter 13, something that happens during this this meal probably before this discussion, or what uh, brought this discussion about. And by the way, look at the, I'm going to go back just a little bit. Look, I, I like this picture here, because you look at this Last Supper here. Uh, these guys, uh, does that look like a, a great time to be there, to, to celebrate the Passover? As these guys are, are arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest. That picture, I think, says something. What kind of environment that would have been right there at that point in time. 
And so Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, if you're going to be great in my kingdom, you've got to serve. But he shows them something. And I'll start reading in verse 13. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, so it would have been before sundown. That's what that means. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from the God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I can't imagine what the response... We know some of the response we'll read here in just a minute of what the, the twelve apostles would have would have said or, or, or what, they, what their facial expressions would have been at this point in time. My guess is that this discussion about who is the greatest would have centered around where people were sitting at the table. And so, because in the Middle Eastern cultures, even now, there are specific places around the table where the person who is the greatest, has the greatest authority, will sit, and the person who has the least amount of authority will sit. And, and it, is, it, is, it is known it's this unwritten rule. And so here you have Jesus comes into this, um, this Passover meal. And his disciples immediately put Jesus at the greatest, most important spot. And they have him, him lay there. He would have been partially laying on his side. And, uh, and they start trying to figure out where everybody else is going to sit. And man, this is always a contentious deal because we're never sure exactly where to sit. And, and so-and-so always puts himself in the greatest position. And I want to be there. You know, I want to turn at this. And so here starts this great discussion. In the middle of it, you can imagine Jesus just shaking his head inside thinking, hmm, I'm glad I'm God because I know how this is going to turn out. And if I didn't, I would look around and think there is absolutely no hope for what's going to happen next. These guys do not get it. And Jesus just gets up as they're debating over who's going to sit where and who's in a position of honor and all that. And he just gets up. And he goes and he gets the water. He takes off his, his outer cloak and he ties it around him and just goes over and he starts washing the feet of one of the disciples. And this is reserved for either the servant or the person who was least important in the room. That was their job. And so if you have the 12 apostles there, they don't have a servant with them today. They don't have somebody who's just going to willingly take this role. So they're debating about who's going to do that. Jesus just takes the water basin. He goes over. And he starts, starts washing the feet of one of the disciples. And the room gets quiet. And they think, oh no, we've messed. What on earth? Wait, wait a minute. This is a huge social faux pas right here. This should not be happening. The greatest in the room is washing our feet. That's not what's supposed to happen here. And he starts working his way around the room. In verse 30, 36, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. I'm not going to allow this to happen. You're greater than me. I will not do this. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said that not everyone was clean. Okay, so Jesus is, uses this, this water as a saying, there's, you know, I, I, I'm gonna, I can clean all of you, okay? But there's one among you here that is, that is not clean. Referring to Judas, in verse 12 he says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put his, his clothes on and returned to his place. And there's dead silent there, watching this. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And Jesus shows something here that would have rocked the disciples' world. It rocks our world. Looking, at, just watching it here. Something I thought about is uh, there was there was one time where I was at a at a retreat where someone was given this text to share with some other ministers, and uh, and the guy just said, you know, I think you guys know the story. I think you guys know what it means to to serve others working in ministry. And so what I'm going to do is I brought some water and I'm just going to go around the circle. I'm going to wash your feet right now, and and we're going to. I think that's probably a good lesson for all of us. If that's what Jesus needed to do, maybe we just need to do that. And so this gentleman went around the circle and, and washed our feet. And I can tell you how uncomfortable that was. Um, it was strange. Not only because having someone wash my feet, I mean, it puts us in a Western world in a, in a really awkward position. And so I thought about just bringing Phil, Smith, or Phil Young down this morning and said, Hey, Phil, come on down. I'm going to wash your feet and make all of us really uncomfortable, okay? I decided not to do that. You're welcome, Phil, okay? You're welcome, right? But you see the point here is that Jesus shows them something that they would have never anticipated. When they're debating about, what do I get? Who, how important am I going to be? How am I going to be the big shot in this new kingdom? Jesus just shakes his head, and he goes around and washes all of their feet. And he shows them, instead of trying to figure out who's going to be the big shot, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do what needs to be done right now. And watch what happens. It's amazing how in the last little bit of Jesus' life here that we see, as he is in, uh, participating in, in the Passover and the Lord's Supper and, and what he, he prays for, if you look, read the Gospel of John, Jesus does some things that are pretty important here. Let's go back to, uh, to Luke. And I want to read the last couple of verses of this section. It's right after he says, I'm not the one who is at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves. Verse 28 of Luke 22, he says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, we've talked about the great meal or the great festival that... that uh, the Old Testament talks about the meal of God, that we come together at God's table. And Jesus shows that here with the Lord's Supper. Is here is, here's the temporary meal. Here's the short-term meal to remember that someday we're all going to eat together at a great feast in God's kingdom. That's the idea. That's the imagery that is given there. And he tells them, you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You are going to be big shots, okay? But being big shots is not what you think it's going to be. 
And just as he said to Peter, you do not realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. And he finishes in, in John 13 there in that section with, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And what happens from here is Jesus' apostles, they don't see it right now, but someday they look back on this and must think, oh man, when Jesus washed our feet, when he did what nobody else wanted to do, instead of fighting about what he was going to get out of the situation, he just humbled himself and took care of what needed to be done. We learn something very, very important from that. And Jesus spends time at the end of his life talking about how to love one another and praying in John 17 for those of us who are far off that they will be unified. That's the big stuff that Jesus continues to pray about. I spent some time here a while back walking through some scriptures in, in, uh, in the Bible that talk about, about greatness or talk about maturity. And you know what came up over and over again? Is greatness and maturity being connected with teachings about righteousness and preserving unity in the body. Now, that's what came up over and over again. You notice what Jesus is teaching his disciples, something very, very important here. He says, if you want to be mature, what it means is you just do the good stuff that needs to be done. Pursue that teaching about righteousness, what to do, how to be led by the Spirit of God, and make situations and life in the church much better for others. That's what spiritual maturity is about. That's what I want in my kingdom. It's amazing, um, as the disciples go on from here, what happens. But before we talk about that, I want to share something that I experienced yesterday and have experienced here the last little while. That it's been, uh, it's been really neat. If, um, how many of you have followed the MSU women's basketball team this year? Okay, some of you. It is uh, this team... Uh, about, what, three, two games ago, uh, sealed up the Big Sky Championship. Um, they are, I can't remember, correct me if I'm wrong, 14-1, and 15-1 in the Big Sky. These girls are, what's that? Okay, 15, 17-1 in Big Sky. Okay, I'm behind. I, I'm, I went to the, Sylvia and I went to the game yesterday and, uh, and watched them. And there's something about watching that team play that, that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Now, when I coach soccer, one of the things, I have two rules for the team, and one of them is treat others the way you want to be treated. And as, I, as we go along, I teach them. What that means is, if someone misses a shot, do not say, what on earth are you doing? I was open. Okay, that's not going to help. You let me be the coach. Your job is just to lift each other up and continue to encourage each other. And I've, I'll tell my players, say, you watch. If the other teams start griping at each other, they're done. Okay? You've got them. That's what happens. So you guys don't do that. You let me be the coach. You guys just keep playing. And you guys keep encouraging each other. Here, um, last, uh, last week when the, the, cat, the lady Bobcats played the group, um, I watched something happen as we were sitting there. And uh, the lady Bobcats started going up, started pulling away, and went up by quite a bit. And I saw right before halftime, uh, the ball was dished out to this girl who who's just shoots three-pointers, just doom, 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 one after the other. And they dished it out to her, and she shot and hit a three right before the buzzer for halftime. And one of the Lady Grizz players turned, over, turned around and screamed at the bench and says, Who has her? 
And with everybody screaming, you could still hear her voice over all of that. She's upset. She's upset her teammates are screaming at each other. And I said, that's it. That's exactly what I teach my players, is they've just fallen apart. They're done. We're not even to halftime, and they're done. It's over. Yesterday um, was senior night, so they recognized the girls that have been playing there for, for a few years that are seniors. And something I watched is the Lady Bobcats went down. It was 17 points in the first half. Hey, nothing, nothing was working. They were missing. There was one girl that went up that is, that is one of the, um, uh, she's a starter. She's, she's a utility player, just tough, hardworking girl. And she went, got fouled, and she went up and missed two free throws. Got fouled again. She went up, and guess what happened? She missed two free throws. She missed four in a row. And you could see, and I watched to see what would happen, is you could see that she gets down herself, and she's snarling a bit. And I watched the coach, and the coach stood on the sideline. And when this girl was, was rotated out, what I saw is the coach just tap her on the shoulder, smile at her, I saw the team players tap her on their back as she went down, came and sat down, and she's all snarling and all that kind of stuff. But something I saw is I never saw these girls start barking at each other. I never saw the coach do that either, start picking at each other. They went into halftime, and they're way, Lady Bobcats are way down against Northern Arizona. They come out the second half, and what happens is you start to see the momentum coming. I thought, here they go. These girls are going to do it. They've not given up, and they're going to scrap back because I can see what's happening here is these girls believe in each other. And they don't care who gets the most points. I can see that. What they're doing is they're dishing off to whoever's open, whoever's got opportunity, and that person's going to score. And they clawed their way back and ended up winning by three from being way down in the first half, having a terrible first half. And I couldn't help but, as I was preparing and and thinking about this lesson all week, how much that is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He said, if you worry about how much you're getting the ball, if you worry about how much everybody's looking at you, then we're never going to accomplish anything. But what I need you guys to do is just humble yourselves and do whatever is right at any given moment. That's what God is really excited about. And I think about when we read through the book of Acts, when persecution came and and there is a... There's people being executed, like with the, when Stephen was executed. You see what happens is people just went and shared the message of God wherever they were. When they were beat, when they were persecuted in whatever various way it is, the people come back together and the apostles lead the charge and they say, wow, God is doing great stuff. Let's not get discouraged. Let's continue to be courageous. They didn't bite each other. They just continued to look to the future and say, we got this. I think about the times in Acts when uh, there's people, a whole section of the Greek-speaking widows are being overlooked in the distribution of food. If you don't have anything to eat, you can get cranky. Church split coming, here it goes, big deal. They find a solution. They're not anxious. They pray through it. They find a solution and everybody comes together. You see, when the Jews and the Gentiles are, are there worshiping together, oh man, I can't imagine. We think we have differences? Mm-mm. Nope. Jews and Gentiles try to put all those people together to worship God. What they went through, 
And you see the apostles walking through, sometimes not perfectly. We see this in Galatians 2. They had to, had to correct themselves and walk through and, uh, and better how they're handling that situation. But how do you take people that are so different and bring them together to worship God and serve together? And you see the apostles leading through all of it saying, we're going to bring people together and it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Because Jesus' apostles learned something very powerful from him this day. They learned that it's not about having the, the great title. It's not about being in the, in the, having everybody look at you and think, wow, you're amazing, you're phenomenal. It's just looking around and saying, I see this needs to be done, and I see this is a service that needs to happen, and I'm going to do it right now, and I'm excited to do that. I went online and I looked at the, just some ideas. What are some ways to serve others? I'm going to read some of them. For example, help your family. Just look and look around your family at home and see what are some ways that I can I can serve somebody right now. Volunteer uh, with the church. Whatever ways that need to uh, need to what, whatever needs to be done. Whatever can be uh, can be helped out with. Volunteer to help out in those ways. Donate items to a homeless shelter. You notice we've got those those bins in the foyer there. Those are for the rescue or the the what's it called, Martinez? Warming center. The warming center is what we call it here in, in the Gallatin Valley. And all those clothes that, that uh, you don't need anymore, put them in there. They go to clothe people at the warming center. Uh, send someone an encouraging note. There's, that takes a few seconds, and all of us can do that. Deliver a meal to somebody. Watch somebody else's kids. Help other people shine. Take somebody else's ideas and just build them up. Listen to someone who needs you to. Pay it forward. Anticipate serving. In other words, pray to God. Say, give me opportunities to serve others today and just uh, help me to be excited about doing that. Here we give some others. And this is written from a site, actually, that was, that was written to teen girls specifically. So if you're not a teen girl, just adapt it, okay? It, it's the, the same principles here. Here's some other ideas. And what, I'm, what I want us to understand from this is some of these just... Get in your head and heart somehow and you think, ah, that's something I can do. It may not be on any of these lists, but it's something that you can look at and say, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to just go and serve people today this way. Do the dishes without being asked. Offer to help younger sibling with his or her homework. Start your parents' car so it'll be nice and warm when they hop in in the wintertime. Con- contact the, the school principal and ask how you can volunteer at school. Spend several hours a week volunteering uh, with the church that you're a part of. Go through your closets and donate old books and games to the local hospital. Visit someone from your church who is hospitalized. Volunteer at the local pregnancy center. Buy someone lunch. Depending on the season, shovel snow or mow lawns in your neighborhood. Offer to help your mom clean out closets, then organize a yard sale and give the profits to charity. Be a mentor. Find someone who is younger than you and offer to do a Bible study or to encourage them. Teach Sunday school. Bring baked goods to someone who is sick or hurting. Don't take, don't take the best seat in the house. Write an encouraging note and leave it in a friend's locker. Support a ministry financially. Promote someone else's ideas whenever possible. Champion others. Send an anonymous donation to someone you know who is struggling financially. Volunteer to rock babies at children's church, for example. Go Sponsor a child through a Christian sponsorship organization. Orphan's Lifeline. Uh, that's something we took up a special contribution for here recently, uh, for ways that we can we can bless orphans around the world. Uh, give to a children's home. Kathy, how many pounds did we come up with? 1,100 pounds. The church here donated 1,100 pounds, and then some money on top of that, right? So more than 1,100 pounds. Uh, Randy Scow from the uh, Mountain States Children's Home came and picked up 
that pile of stuff yesterday uh, to take back there to help feed and, and take care of that children's home uh, throughout this year. That's something we as a church continue to do. Instead of pitching them, again, give your old clothes to a local shelter. Send care packages to deployed soldiers. On garbage day, pull everyone in the neighborhood's garbage cans back to their houses. Uh, Call a mama you know and offer to babysit for free. What is your uh, mom's least favorite household chore? Laundry, dishes, sweeping the floor. Husbands, wives, we can do this for each other. Take over that job. Fast one day a week and pray for others. Adopt a grandma and grandma in the church or a local nursing home and visit regularly. Give compliments generously. Send flowers. Let someone else pick what show you watch. Whew, that's tough. Write encouraging notes and leave them on Facebook. Now, just think about that. If we all use Facebook for things that are positive, encouraging, convicting, uplifting, it's great. One of the, the signs that Michael put up here a while back out front was, go to God before you go to Facebook. Is that, I think that was up a while back. It was something like that. But it's good. I love that. Write your favorite scripture on note cards and insert them in books at the school library or public library. That's an interesting idea. Um, place flowers and goodies on someone's doorstep, ring the bell, and run. Man, Delbert gets to do that all the time for his job, right? As a UPS driver, he gets to just do that. And, man, what a, what a thing to do, Delbert. You get to you enjoy that? What's that? Yeah, it depends on how many times you ring the doorbell, right? Exactly. Write a note to your teachers telling you that you appreciate their investment in you. Invite others to worship. Invite them to, to become Christians. Do a chore for a brother or sister without knowing them. Who do you know that's lonely? Call them up and make plans. Leave a quarter in a vending machine or parking meter for someone else to use. Organize food drive, which we've done here. Plan a talent night and give money to missions. Offer up an entire day to someone you know and let them set the agenda. Let's roll. And... Uh, Listen to this. The goal of the service is simply to esteem and meet the needs of others. The possibilities are endless. So let's stop talking about it and start doing it, shall we? Who shall we serve today? Who will you, what will you do to follow Jesus' lead and put others first? And something I've noticed as I've gone along in life is that when we decide that we're going to be people that just serve others and we do that and we spend time doing that, what happens is there's a great fulfillment that comes from God And there's a joy that comes that we can't get any other way. And we just continue on through life. If we don't, if we serve other, if we don't tend to serve others, our tendency is to get extremely critical and extremely frustrated with others. And we gripe and we complain. And so the message from Jesus and his example, just like the apostles griped and complained because they weren't serving. If the creator of the world can serve others, then surely we can every day. Wake up and decide, who am I going to serve? Who am I going to bless? Who am I going to send a scripture to? Who am I going to encourage today? Who am I going to help in some form or fashion? And by doing so, boy, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us powerfully in those times. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back and we'll meet you there. Let's stand and sing together.